Chapters sixteen and seventeen of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter sixteen The Funeral and After Long before ten o'clock, the hour appointed for the funeral, the people began to gather at the park house, and the avenue seemed full of them. The news that an unknown woman had been frozen to death in the tramp house had spread far and wide, awakening in many a curiosity to see the stranger and discover, if possible, a likeness to someone they might have known. It was strange how many reminiscences were brought to mind by this circumstance of girls who had disappeared years before and were supposed to be dead, or worse. And this woman might be one of them and they came in crowds to see her and to see as well the inside of the handsome house of which they had heard so much especially since mr arthur's return but in this they were disappointed for all the front rooms were locked against them and only the large dining-room the breakfast-room the servants hall and the little back office were thrown open to the public in the first of these the corpse was lying in a handsome coffin for frank would have no other and when the undertaker suggested to him that a cheaper one would answer just as well he said i mean to bury her decently give me this one and send the bill to me not to arthur it was his funeral and judging from his face he was burying all his friends instead of a poor unknown woman whose large coarse features and plain woollen dress looked out of place in that handsome black coffin with its silver-plated trimmings frank had suggested that she should have a white merino shroud but his wife had overruled him it was not her funeral and she had no interest in it except that it should be over as soon as possible and the house cleansed from the atmosphere of death so when her husband asked if the child ought not to have a mourning dress she scoffed at him for the suggestion saying she did not like to see children in black and even if she died herself she should not wish hers to wear it i cannot imagine she continued why you have taken so unaccountable a fancy to and interest in these people especially the child one would think she belonged to royalty the fuss you make over her what are we to do with her to-night where is she to sleep in the nursery was his reply and he saw his wishes carried out and ordered in a crib which used to be jack's and bade the nurse to see that she was comfortable so jerry was put to bed in the nursery and slept very quietly until about ten o'clock when she awoke and cried piteously for both monny and harold frank who was sitting alone in the library heard the cry and knew it was not maud's had it been he would not have minded it for he knew that she would be cared for without his interference but something in the crying of this little foreign girl stirred him strangely and after listening to it a few moments he arose and going softly to the door of the nursery stood listening until a sharp hush from the nurse-girl decided him to enter and going to the crib he bent over the sobbing child and tried to comfort her she could not understand him but the tone of his voice was kind and when he put his hand on her hot head she took it in hers and held it fast as if she recognized in him a friend and frank as he felt the clasp of the soft warm fingers and saw the confiding look in the wide-open eyes grew faint and cold and asked himself again as he had many times that day if he could do it jerry was asleep at last but she sobbed occasionally in her sleep and there were great tears on her eyelashes while her fingers clutched frank's hand tightly as if fearing to let it go but he managed to disengage it and stealing cautiously from the room went back to the library where he sat late into the night facing the future and wondering if he could meet it 
he had jerry at the table next morning and saw that she was helped to everything she wanted without any regard to its suitability for her and when his wife said rather curtly that she never supposed he was so fond of children he answered her i am only doing as i would wish someone to do to maud if she were like this poor little girl when at last the hour for the funeral arrived he placed her upon a high chair close to the coffin where she sat through the short service conspicuous in her grey cloak and blue hood with her hair falling on her neck and piled in wavy masses on her forehead while her bright eyes scanned the crowd eagerly as if asking why they were there and why they were all looking so intently at her more than one kind-hearted woman went up and kissed her and when at the close of the services mr tracy held her in his arms for a last look at her mother their tears fell fast for the child so unconscious of the meaning of what was passing around her isn't she beautiful such lovely hair and eyes and dazzling complexion was said by more than one and then they speculated as to her future would she go to the poorhouse would frank tracy keep her or was it true as they had heard that mr arthur tracy was to adopt her as his own and where was mr arthur he might at least have shown enough respect for the dead woman to come into the room they said but arthur was sick in bed suffering alternately from chills and a raging fever which set his brain on fire and made him wilder than usual he had not slept well during the night indeed he said he had not slept at all but this was a common assertion of his and one to which charles paid little heed a man can't snore and not sleep was the unanswerable argument with which he refuted the sleepless nights of his master on this occasion however he had heard no snoring and arthur's face seen by the morning light was a sufficient proof of the wakeful hours he had passed he too had heard the distant crying and felt instinctively that it was not maud's starting up in bed to listen he said what's that is that child here yet yes sir she is to stay till after the funeral was charles's reply and arthur continued bring me some cotton for my ears i never can stand that noise it is a peculiar cry the cotton was brought a window in the hall which had a habit of rattling with every breath of wind was made fast with a bit of shingle whittled out for that purpose and then arthur became tolerably quiet until morning when he began to talk to himself in the german language which charles could not understand but he caught the name gretchen and knew she was the subject of the sick man's thoughts suddenly turning to his attendant to whom he always spoke in english arthur said the funeral is to-day yes sir at ten o'clock well lock every door leading up this way and shut out the gossiping blockheads who will come by hundreds and if we would let them swarm into my room as thick as the frogs were in the houses of the egyptians shut the doors charles and keep them out so the doors were shut and bolted and then arthur lay listening with that intensity which so quickens one's hearing that the faintest sounds are distinct at great distances he heard the trampling footsteps as the people came crowding in and the tread of horses feet as sleigh after sleigh drove up the avenue and once with a shudder he said that is the hearse i am sure of it then all was still and listen as he might he could not distinguish the faintest sound until the services were over and the people began to leave the house there he said with a sigh of relief it will soon be over bring me my clothes charles i am going to get up and see the last of this poor woman god help her whoever she was 
he was beginning to feel a great pity for the woman whose coffin they were putting in the hearse which moved off a few rods and then stopped until the open sleigh came up the sleigh in which frank tracy sat muffled in his heavy overcoat for the day though bright and sunny was cold and a chill wind was blowing dolly had taken refuge in a headache which had prevented her from being present at the funeral and kept her from going to the grave as her husband had wished her to do so only harold and jerry occupied the sleigh with frank and these sat opposite him with their backs to the horses jerry in her grey cloak and blue hood showing conspicuously as she came into full view of the window where arthur stood looking at the procession with a feeling at his heart as if in some way he were interested in the sad funeral where there was no mourner no one who had ever seen or known the deceased except the little helpless girl looking around her in perfect unconcern save as she rather liked the stir and all that was going on they had tied a thin veil over her head to shield her from the cold and thus her face was not visible to arthur but he saw the blue hood and the golden hair on the old grey cloak and the sight of it moved him mightily making him hold fast to the window casing for support while he stood watching it just as far as he could see it his eye followed that hood and when it disappeared from view he turned from the window deathly sick and tottering back to his bedroom vomited from sheer nervous excitement thank heaven it is over and the rabble gone he said when he became easier go now and open all the doors and windows to let out the smell they are sure to have left ugh i get a whiff of it now burn some of that aromatic paper but open the hall windows first charles did as he was ordered and the wind was soon sweeping through the wide hall while arthur's rooms were filled with an odour like the sweet incense burned in the old cathedrals i am very giddy and faint arthur said when charles came back to him after his ventilating operation i have looked at the bright snow too long and there are a thousand rings of fire dancing before my eyes and in every ring i see a blue hood and veil with waves of hair like gretchen's wheel me out there charles where i can see her charles obeyed and moved the light bed lounge into the library where his master could feast his eyes upon the sweet face which knew no change but which always night and day smiled upon him the same the picture had a soothing effect upon arthur and he gazed at it now until it began to fade away and lose itself in the blue hood and veil he had seen in the sleigh far down the avenue and when a few minutes later charles came in to look at him he found him fast asleep meantime the funeral train had reached the cemetery where the snow was piled in great drifts and where in a corner of the tracy lot they buried the stranger with no tear to hallow her grave and no pang of regret save that she had ever come there with the mystery and the doubt which must always cling to her memory frank tracy's face was very pale and stern as he held little jerry in his arms during the committal of the body to the grave and then bade her take one last look at the box which held her mother but jerry who was growing cold and tired began to cry and so frank took her back to the sleigh which was driven to the cottage in the lane here she felt at home and was soon supremely happy devouring the ginger cookie which mrs crawford had given her and in trying to pronounce english words under harold's teaching while the children were thus employed mr tracy was divulging to mrs crawford the object of his visit he could hardly explain he said why he was so deeply interested in the child except it were that her mother had died on his premises i can't see her go to the poorhouse he continued with a trembling in his voice which made mrs crawford wonder a little as she had never credited him with much sympathy for anything outside his own family 
i can't see her go to the poorhouse and i can't well take her into my family as we have three children of our own but i have made up my mind to care for her and i have come to ask if for a compensation you will keep her here yes grandma say yes harold cried while jerry with her mouth full of cookie repeated a s you see the children plead for me mr tracy said while she is young say until she is ten years old i will pay you three dollars a week and after that more if necessary i know you will be kind to her and that she will be happy here and well brought up is it a bargain mrs crawford had never seen him so interested in anything and felt somewhat surprised and puzzled but she expressed her willingness to take the child and do what she could for her and so jerry's future was settled and counting out twelve dollars frank handed them to mrs crawford saying i will pay you for four weeks in advance as you may need the money and-and perhaps his face grew very red as he stammered on perhaps it may be as well not to tell how much i pay you people or rather well mrs tracy might think it strange and not understand why i feel such an interest in the child i don't understand it myself but he did understand and all the way from the cottage to the park he kept trying to reassure himself by saying i know nothing for sure arthur is expecting gretchen whoever she may be he says he has written to her and he has one of his presentiments that she was coming on the night when this woman arrived who is no more like the gretchen he raves about than i am this woman has a child he says gretchen has none and that he never saw this woman and yet i find among the things a photograph exactly like the picture in the window while the child certainly bears a resemblance to my brother though no one else perhaps would see it now sir and he appeared to be addressing some unseen person from whom he shrank for he drew himself as far as was possible to his side of the sleigh and shivered as he went on now sir is that sufficient proof to warrant me in turning everything topsy-turvy and making arthur crazier than he is certainly not he heard in reply either from within or without he hardly knew which and he went on i shall try to find out who the woman was of course and where she came from but how am i to do it arthur will not tell me a word about gretchen or what she is to him still i mean to do right by the child arthur cannot live many years his nerves will wear him out if nothing else and when he dies his money will naturally come to me naturally his spectral companion replied and he continued well what i intend doing is this i shall make my will in which jerry will share with my children and i shall further draw up a written request that in case i die before my brother any money which may fall to my children from him shall be shared equally with her i shall out of my own private funds provide for her support and education until she comes of age or marries can anything more be required of me Nothing was the consoling reply and as the sleigh just then drew up before his door frank alighted from it and said to himself as he ran up the steps i believe i have been riding with the devil and have made a league with him he found the house thoroughly aired and cleansed from all signs of the recent funeral and when at one o'clock he sat down to lunch in the handsome dining-room and sipped his favourite claret and ate his foreign preserves and thought how much comfort and luxury money could buy he was sure he had done well for himself and his children after him 
but frank tracy never knew real peace of mind again until years after when with his sin confessed he was freed from the shadow which followed him day and night walking by him when he walked sitting by him when he sat and watching by him when he slept until life seemed at times unbearable he made his will as he had said he would but he went to springfield to have it drawn up for he knew that colvin or any lawyer whom he might employ in shannondale would wonder at it he also wrote out what he called his dying request to his children in case he should die before his brother in this he stated emphatically his wish that jerry should have her share of whatever might come to them from the tracy estate the same as if she were his own child i have a good and sufficient reason for this he wrote in conclusion and i enjoin it upon you to carry out my wishes as readily as you would were i to speak to you from my grave this done frank felt better and the shadow at his side was not quite as real as it had been he put his will and his dying request in a private drawer with gretchen's photograph and testament he had kept this last back when the stranger's trunk was sent to the cottage thinking that if it were missed and inquired for he could easily produce it as having been mislaid at the suggestion of mr st clair he went to new york to the office of the german line of steamers and made inquiries with regard to the passengers who had come on a certain ship at such a time but nothing could be learned of any woman with a child and after inserting in several of the new york papers a description of the woman with a request for any information concerning her which could be given he returned home with the feeling that he had done all that could be required of him he was very kind and even tender to his brother who for several weeks suffered from low nervous depression which kept him altogether in his room to which he refused to admit any one except his attendant and frank he had ceased for the time being to talk of gretchen and never inquired for the child once frank spoke of her to him and told him where she was and that she was learning to speak english very rapidly and growing prettier every day but arthur did not seem at all interested and only said how can mrs crawford afford to keep her others than arthur asked that question and among them dolly who with a woman's quick wit sharpened by something she accidentally saw divined the truth which she wrung at last from her husband there was a fierce quarrel almost their first a sick headache which lasted three days and a month or more of coldness between the married pair and then finding she could accomplish nothing for frank was as firm as a rock dolly gave up the contest and tried by economizing in various ways to save the money which she felt was taken from her children by the little girl who had become so dear to mrs crawford that she would not have parted with her had nothing been paid for her keeping chapter seventeen mr crazy man do you want some cherries more than two years had passed away since the terrible march night when the strange woman was frozen to death in the tramp house and her history was still shrouded in mystery not a word had been heard concerning her and her story was gradually being forgotten by the people of shannondale her grave however was tolerably well kept and every saturday afternoon in summer-time a few flowers were put on it by harold not so much for the sake of the dead as for the beautiful child who always accompanied him laughing and frolicking and sometimes dancing around the grave where he told her her mother was buried as there had been no date on which to fix jerry's birth they had called the first day of march her birthday so that when more than two years later we introduce her to our readers on a hot july morning she was said to be six years and four months old in some respects however she seemed older for there was about her a precocity only found in children who have always associated with people much older than themselves or into whose lives strange experiences had come 
in stature she was very short though round and plump as a partridge duchy mrs tracy called her for mrs tracy did not like her and took no pains to conceal her dislike though it was based upon nothing except the money which she knew was paid regularly to mrs crawford for the child's maintenance there could be no reason she said to her husband why he should support the child of a tramp and the woman had been little better judging from appearances unless indeed and then she told what old peterkin had said more than once to the effect that jerry crawford as she was called was growing to be the image of the tracys especially arthur and if so she added you'd better let arthur take care of her and save your money for your own children to this frank never replied he knew better than old peterkin that jerry was like his brother and that it was not so much in the features as in the expression and certain movements of the head and hands and tones of the voice when she was in earnest she could speak english very well now and sometimes when frank who was a frequent visitor at the cottage sat watching her at her play and listening to her as she talked to herself as was her constant habit he could have shut his eyes and sworn it was his brother's voice calling to him from the hayloft or apple-tree where they had played together when boys jerry's favourite amusement was to make believe that either herself or a figure she had made out of a shawl was a sick woman lying on a settee which she converted into a bed sometimes she was the nurse and took care of the sick woman to whom she always spoke in german bending fondly over her and occasionally holding up before her a doll which mrs st clair had given her and which she played was the woman's baby then she would be the sick woman herself and tying on the broad frilled cap which had been found in the trunk would slip under the covering and laying her head upon the pillow go through with all the actions of someone very sick occasionally hugging and kissing the doll sometimes she enacted the pantomime of dying folding her hands together and closing her eyes her lips moved as if in prayer for a moment then stretching out her feet she lay perfectly motionless with a set expression on the little face which looked so comical under the broad frilled cap then as if it had occurred to her that action was necessary from someone she exchanged places with the lay figure and tying the cap upon its head tucked it carefully in the bed by which she knelt imitated perfectly the sobs and moans of a middle-aged person mingled occasionally with the clearer softer notes of a child's crying the first time frank witnessed this piece of acting jerry had been at the cottage a year and he had come to pay his weekly due both mrs crawford and harold were gone but knowing they would soon return as it was not in their habit to leave jerry long alone he sat down to wait while she went back to the corner in the kitchen which she used as her playhouse somebody is sick and i am taking care of her she said to mr tracy who watched her through the pantomime of the death scene with a feeling when it was over that he had seen gretchen die there was not a shadow of doubt in his mind that the sick woman was gretchen the nurse the stranger found in the tramp house and the doll baby the little girl upon whose memory that scene had been indelibly stamped and who with her wonderful powers of imitation could rehearse it in every particular calling her to him after her play was over he took her in his lap and kissed the little grave face where the shadow of the scene she had been enacting had left its impress jerry he said that lady who just died in the bed with the cap on was your mamma was it not yes was jerry's reply for she still adhered to her first pronunciation of the word and the other was the nurse yes jerry said again mani this was puzzling for he had always supposed that by mani the child meant mamma but he went on try to understand me jerry 
try to think away back before you came in the ship yes i will she said with a very wise look on her face while mr tracy continued had you a papa was he there with you nine was the prompt reply and mr tracy continued where did your mamma live was it in weisbaden he knew he did not pronounce the word right and was surprised at the sudden lighting up of the child's eyes as she tried to repeat the name oo she began with a tremendous effort but the w mastered her and she gave it up with a shake of her head i not say dat oo she said and he put the question in another form where did your mamma die tamp house foes to death was the ready answer and a natural one too for she had been taught by harold that such was the case and had often gone with him to the house which was now shunned alike by tramps and boys no one picnicked there now for the place was said to be haunted and the superstitious ones told each other that on stormy nights when the wild winds were abroad lights had been seen in the tramp house where a pale-faced woman with her long black hair streaming down her back stood in the doorway shrieking for help while the cry of a child mingled with her call but harold shared none of these fancies he was not afraid of the building and often went there with jerry and sitting with her on the table told her again and again how he had found her mother that wintry morning and how funny she herself had looked in the old carpet-bag and so it is not strange that when mr tracy asked where her mother died she should answer in the trap-house although she had acted a pantomime whose reality must have taken place under very different circumstances of course she died in the trap-house and i have nothing with which to reproach myself i am altogether too morbid on the subject frank said and he had decided that he was a pretty good sort of fellow after all when at last mrs crawford came in and he paid her for jerry's board in some respects he was doing his duty by the child who as time went on learned to love him better than any one else except harold and mrs crawford whom she called grandma she always ran to meet him when he came and sometimes when he went away accompanied him down the lane holding his hand and asking him about tracy park and maud and the crazy man this was harold's designation of mr arthur and perhaps of all the things at tracy park jerry was most desirous to see him and his rooms harold who on one of the rare occasions when arthur was out to dine had been sent to the house on an errand had gone with jack into these rooms which he described minutely to his grandmother and jerry dwelling longest upon the beautiful picture in the window gretchen he calls it he said and then jerry who was listening intently gave a sudden upward and sidewise turn to her head just as she had done when mr tracy spoke to her of wiesbaden Detchen, she repeated with a little hesitancy what the name was say again he said it again and over the child's face there came a puzzled expression as if she were trying to recall something which baffled all her efforts and that evening mrs crawford heard her saying to herself detchen detchen who am she jerry had seen maud tracy many times and had admired her greatly with her pretty white dresses and costly embroideries and once at church when maud passed near where she was standing she stood back as far as possible and held her plain gingham dress aside as if neither it nor herself had any right to come in contact with so superior a being of maud's home she knew nothing except that it was a place to be admired and gazed at breathlessly at a respectful distance but she was going there at last with harold who had permission to gather cherries for his grandmother from some of the many trees which grew upon the place 
it was a hot morning in july and the air seemed thunderous and heavy when she set off on what to her was as important an expedition as is a trip to europe to an older person she wanted to wear her pink gingham dress the one kept sacred for sunday and had even hoped that she might be allowed to display her best straw hat with the blue ribbons and cluster of apple blossoms she had no doubt that she should go into the house and see the crazy man and mrs tracy who she heard wore silk stockings every day and she wished to be suitably attired for the occasion but mrs crawford dispelled her air castles by telling her that she was only to go into the side yard where the cherry trees were and that she must be very quiet so as not to disturb mr arthur whose windows looked that way to wear her pink dress was impossible as she would get it stained with the juice of the cherries while the best hat was not for a moment to be thought of so jerry submitted to the dark calico frock and high-necked long-sleeved apron which mrs crawford thought safe and proper for her to wear on a cherry expedition a clean white sunbonnet with a wide cape covered her head when she started from the cottage with her tin pail on her arm but no sooner was she in the path which led to the park than the obnoxious bonnet was removed and was swinging on her arm while she was admiring the shadow which her long bright curls made in the sunshine as she shook her head from side to side to tell the truth our little jerry was rather vain passionately fond of pictures and flowers and quick to detect everything beautiful in art and nature she knew that the little face she sometimes saw in mrs crawford's old-fashioned mirror was pretty and after the day when dick st clair told her that her hair was awful handsome she had felt a pride in it and in herself which all mrs crawford's asseverations that handsome is that handsome does could not destroy maud tracy's hair was black and straight and here she felt she had the advantage over her i do hope we shall see her she said to harold as she danced along do you think we shall harold thought it doubtful and even if they did it was not likely she would speak to them he said why not jerry asked and he replied oh i suppose they feel big because they are rich and we are poor but why ain't i rich too why don't i live at the park like maud and wear low-necked aprons instead of this old high one jerry asked but harold could not tell and only said would you rather live at the park than with me no jerry answered promptly stopping short and digging her heel into the soft loam of the path i would not stay anywhere without you and when i live at the park you will live there too and have codfish and tato every day this was harold's favourite dish and as it was not his grandmother's his taste was not gratified in that respect as often as he would have liked hence jerry's promise of the luxury just then at a sudden turn in the path they came upon jack and maud tracy playing on a bench under a tree while a nurse was at a distance either reading or asleep harold would have passed them at once as he knew his grandmother was in a hurry for the cherries but jerry had no such intention stopping in front of maud she inspected her carefully from her white dress and bright plaid sash to the string of amber beads around her neck while side by side with this picture she saw herself in her dark calico frock and high-necked apron with her sunbonnet and tin pail on her arm jerry did not like the contrast and a lump began to swell in her throat then as a happy thought struck her she said with something like exultation in her tone my hair curls and yours don't no maud answered slowly no it don't curl but it's black and yours is yaller this was a setback to jerry who hated everything yellow and who had never dreamed of applying that colour to her hair she only knew that dick st clair had called it pretty 
but in this new light thrown upon it all her pride vanished for she recognized like a flash that it might be yeller and stood there silent and vanquished until maud who in turn had been regarding her attentively said to her ain't you jerry crawford that broke the ice of reserve and the two little girls were soon talking together familiarly and jerry was asking maud if she wore bees in her best clothes every day pooh these ain't my best clothes i have one gown all broadry and lace was maud's reply while jack who was standing near chimed in my father's got lots of money and so has uncle arthur and when he dies we are going to have it tom says so slowly the shadows gathered on jerry's brow as she said sadly i wish i had an uncle arthur and could wear beads and a sash every day then as she looked at harold her face brightened immediately and she exclaimed but i have harold and grandma and you hain't and running up to harold she threw her arms around his neck and kissed him lovingly as if to make amends for the momentary repining we must go now harold said and taking her hand he led her away toward the house which impressed her with so much awe that as she drew near to it she held her breath and walked on tiptoe as if afraid that any sound from her would be sacrilege in that aristocratic atmosphere oh isn't it grand harold isn't it grand she kept repeating with her mouth full of cherries after they had reached the trees on which the ripe red fruit hung so thickly do you suppose we shall see the crazy man she asked and harold replied i guess not unless he comes to the window those are his rooms and that window which looks so ugly outside is the one with the picture in it and he pointed to the south wing most of the windows of which were open while against one a long ladder was standing it had been left there by a workman who had been up to fix the hinge of a blind and who had gone to the village in quest of something he needed jerry saw the ladder and its close proximity to the open window and she thought to herself i mean to fill my pail with cherries and go up that ladder and take them to him i wonder if he will bite me suiting the action to the word she stopped eating and began to pick from the lower limbs as rapidly as possible until her pail was full pour them into the basket harold called to her from the top of the tree but jerry did not heed him she had seen the tall figure of a man pass before the window and a pale thin face had for a moment looked out apparently to discover whence the talking came i'm going to take the crazy man some cherries she cried and before harold could protest she was halfway up the ladder which she climbed with the agility of a little cat jerry jerry what are you doing harold exclaimed come back this minute he doesn't like children he tried to throw me over the banister once he will knock you off the ladder oh jerry and harold's voice was almost a sob as he watched the girl going up round after round until the top was reached and she stood with her flushed eager face just on a level with the window so that by standing on tiptoe she could look into the room it was arthur's bedroom and there was no one in it but she heard the sound of footsteps in the adjoining apartment and raising herself as far as possible and holding up her pail she called out in a clear shrill voice mr crazy man mr crazy man don't you want some cherries End of chapters sixteen and seventeen